Well, hello and welcome to this very first episode of Drinks Adventures. My name's James Atkinson. In this first episode, I'm going to be exploring the Japanese sake scene in Australia. And if you stick around to the end, you can also find out how to win an awesome prize. But before we get down to that, a bit of an introduction to the podcast and also myself. I've been writing about beer, wine, spirits, actually all forms of drinks for the last few years now. And looking at the current podcast landscape, there really wasn't much out there covering all categories of drinks. The drinks media generally tends to be pretty fragmented into covering wine or beer or whiskey or gin or whatever individually. And for me personally, I enjoy all of the above, depending on my mood. And I don't think I'm alone in that because there's been lots of research that shows that Drinkers today are much more open-minded and adventurous than in previous generations. And meanwhile, we've got all these craft breweries and distilleries and cideries opening at an incredible rate across Australia. And there's a lot of collaboration happening between these uh, small producers. And in some cases, there's products coming onto the market that really can't be classified as simply a beer or a wine or a gin or whatever. They've actually got a foot in several camps. There's so many examples of this and I don't think it's really something that you could say is just happening on the fringes anymore because we've got the likes of Jacob's Creek bringing out wines that have been aged in whiskey barrels and Jamison Irish whiskey bringing out whiskey that's been aged in craft beer barrels. So I thought that doing a podcast that doesn't really respect these traditional boundaries between categories kind of reflects where the market for alcoholic drinks is today. So this is the first episode of season one, which will continue for an as yet undetermined number of episodes. Each week, I'm going to play an interview with an interesting guest, or in some cases, I'll try and present content in more of a documentary style format. And with that, it's probably time to introduce the substance of this first program. Australia, somewhat surprisingly, is currently the second fastest growing export market for Japanese sake globally. I attended a recent sake masterclass and showcase held by Japanese trade and tourism authorities in Sydney to find out more about Japanese sake and what's driving this increased consumption. And just a reminder that if you stay listening after this segment, you'll find out how to win a bottle of beautiful Japanese sake supplied by leading sake importer Deja Vu Sake. From my perspective, I had stopped drinking so much wine a few years back, uh, probably about eight or ten years ago, and started to replace, sneak a single bottle of sake into the mix amongst the dozen bottles of wine, and now it's kind of more the other way around. That's Lee Hudson, a sake educator and founder of Australia's first specialist sake retailer, Sake Shop. Lee was presenting a sake masterclass in Sydney as part of a recent showcase of 18 sake breweries organised by the Japan External Trade Organisation. Hideyuki Nakazato is Managing Director. And we are very pleased to have this kind of event. And the Japanese sake is getting popular here in Australia. Still, there is a room to expand the sake into here. That is why we decided to organise this event with other organisations. You yeah. said it, it's, yeah. it's getting popular. Yeah. What's driving that popularity? Uh, yes, and uh, popularity is with the popularity of Japanese food. And uh, Japanese food is very, uh, what shall I say, uh, very delicious. And also, uh, this is very uh, good quality. And Japanese food is getting popular, popular among other countries also. Then with those Japanese foods, sake is very important. And actually, last year, uh, the people uh, went from Australia, went to Japan, was uh, 500,000 people, and uh, this was a record high. So the popularity of Japan for, for tourism purpose 
And also is a kind of parallel with the, the popularity of Japanese food and sake. What we're seeing is we're seeing better quality Japanese food and better quality Japanese restaurants in Australia. And they're serving better quality sake. And I think all of that is leading towards a trend of people accepting it as a regular drink. Lee Hudson again. So 12 years ago, we started uh, Chef's Armoury, which is Australia's coolest knife shop. Uh, it's Japanese knives only. Uh, and sort of a few, years, a few years into it, the constant travelling to Japan, you start drinking sake and really enjoying it. So I thought, why don't we start to import sake and we'll sell it in a knife shop in Melbourne. Uh, so into that, I decided to educate myself. I did absolutely every educational course I could find in English. And then also started to teach Wine Spirit Education Trust classes, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, and just drinking as much as I can. How has the market changed for sake in Australia over the last few years? I mean, when you opened your shop, it mm. must have been pretty slow early on, I would have thought. When we started, it was difficult to find a bottle of great sake in a retail store. And, and our whole intention was to offer something that was different, that was fresh and delicious and really amazing compared to the offering that was there. And in the beginning, people were a little bit tentative. I don't drink sake because it's horrible, you know. So um, it took a little bit of time to, to convince people that they should drink it. But, but now, I think with increased travel in Japan, people are actually experiencing good sake for the first time during travel. And they come back and they want to relive that experience. And uh, they relive that experience by buying good quality sake. flavor spectrum of sake, I think it's very important when we're talking to a customer or a friend or shopping for sake, that we need to be able to divide things quite neatly. And if somebody comes into the store, I have three ways of looking at it if they want to, want to choose some sake. Floral and fruity, say gijo grades or non-gijo grades, something sort of earthy rich or, or maybe, maybe buttery. Do you enjoy sweet or do you enjoy dry? Or maybe do you enjoy hot or do you enjoy cold sake? So they're very three very neat little divisions that we can make to try and narrow it down for a good choice for a customer. The Ginjo grade sake Lee speaks of represents the top 10% of all sake made. Like all sake grades, it's legally defined by how much the rice is polished, or in other words, milled before brewing. People think that Ginjo and Ginjo has been in with uh, sake industry forever. It's not. It's only since the 80s. My grandma didn't have that Ginjo, poor thing. Because <laughs> she liked the sake. It's just because we needed, they needed those um, uh, industry, industry or you know, sort of machine can do it. And um, polish the rice. Polish the rice. Yeah. Yes. Because if you want to um, the polish the rice, say half of it, 50%, which is go for daiginjo, you know, grade, and it's good to take maybe 80 hours or 100 hours non stop. You know, you needed to have a very sophisticated machine to do it. That was sake expert Yukino Ochiai, who last year became Australia's third sake samurai, an award given by the Japan Sake Brewers Association to people who champion the culture and identity of sake. I'm Andre Bishop. I wear a variety of different hats. One, I'm a restaurateur with multiple venues in Melbourne. Uh, two, I'm a, a, a sake professional, so an educator. Um, I, do, I do training, um, and I'm also a brand manager for uh, Dasai, which is a quite a prestigious uh, sake, sake brand in, in Japan um, and expanding around the world. So I think, I mean, I've been involved in sake for the last 25 years, so 
one of the kind of early kids um, in the sake scene in Australia. So I guess because of my dedication in, in trying to get more Australians to drink more sake over the years, um, I got the notice of the Japan Sake and Shoshu Brews Association and they honoured me with Sake Samurai in 2013. Because I guess earlier on, back in the early years, um, there wasn't a lot of people um, prophesizing about sake in Australia. It was very much um, a misunderstood and underappreciated thing. So I kind of picked up the banner um, in the early days. My name is Hironobu Kubota. I'm from the Fukushima Brewery. Uh, our brewery is located in Hyogo uh, Prefecture, uh, which is located in the uh, center of Japan. And uh, our brewery is established in uh, 1751. And my elder brother is now uh, the president of our uh, brewery, and uh, he is the 13th generation. We are using a very hard water, uh, which has uh, plenty of the minerals. One third of all sake produced in Japan comes from Kobe's Nara district, where Fukuju is based. Yukino recommends comparing the classic Nara style sakis versus those of another important region, Fushimi in Kyoto. Nada sake, that sake from Kobe, that's a hard sake, hard water used sake. So we call that men style or more masculine style. You can, as you have a more acid, uh, mineral in the water and your fermentation goes much faster and much less residual sugar because of fermentation is faster. So you can get a much drier sensation. Yeah, in sake, but then the, uh, always compared to the sake from Kyoto or Fushimi, like a Tsukino Katsura. Their water is from the lake, you know, so, so it's much more soft water. Then the texture is much, you know, more mouse feeling and gentle. So I think those two places are the big place, good place to start your sake journey. So, sake food pairings, some positive attributes. Now, the pai or mummy characteristic in sake enables it to be a very good deodorizer, especially with fishy flavors. So, if you're having something that's an especially fishy dish, and I'm thinking some grilled mackerel or maybe some sardines, and you want to cleanse the palate a little bit in between, the umami or the amino acids, which are the umami characters, will cleanse that palate in between and have you ready for another bite of sardine on toast for breakfast. Does everyone drink sake at breakfast? <laughs> Just us. Some more positives. Sake loves acidity. Wine, not so much. I mentioned in the session earlier, I like to drink, when I do drink wine, I like a Chablis. And when I'm sitting down, I'm drinking my Chablis, and I'm served a dish which will work so well with it, and then the salad comes out and it has this really, really vinegary vinaigrette on the salad. I don't want to eat that salad because I've just bought this delicious bottle of wine. But if I had a glass of sake, it'll just laugh at it. And do you see Australia as having a lot of potential for sake? I think it's not, it's not so huge market, but uh, I think it's growing because um, they have a very good seafood and they have a very good beef and then they have a very good uh, the vegetables. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's very similar to Japan. I think we should think outside the box of Japanese cuisine or even Japanese-inspired dishes when we're thinking about sake matches because it works so well with Spanish and Italian and French, Namibian and other cuisines. Um, whenever I'm sitting down to a tapas restaurant we go to, I always wish they allowed BYO because I could bring a great bottle of sake that would work well with it. 
It's such a um, distinctly Japanese product in every way, not just the liquid but the branding and everything. Do you think it's going to be hard for it to break out of the pigeonhole that you talked about earlier? Yes and no. I, I honestly think that um, the, the difficulty of understanding it with all of that Japanese writing on the label is also its appeal. So we all, we all love to know something special about something that our friend doesn't know. Um, and I remember drinking Italian wines many, many years ago with all these strange Italian words on it. Um, and now that's become a very, very mainstream thing. I think as, as it evolves, we might see a little bit more English on the front labels, but, but certainly uh, still keeping the beautiful kanji and things like that. And that will certainly help drive the market forward as well. The landscape nowadays is amazing in the fact that Saki's you know, in the food press and it's, it's in chef's minds and it's... Um, you know, people are coming to these events and psyche festivals and going to restaurants for tastings and signing up for education classes. I mean, that, that is all a hallmark of, you know, what the portent for the future. So I think that, you know, psyche has really managed to get a foothold in, in the mind of Australian drinkers. It's certainly got a long way to go. Um, if we look at, say, markets that are a little bit more developed, like the States, where you can generally, in you know, a lot of places in the States, you can walk into a bottle shop and there'll be a whole fridge of, of, of sake there. I mean, we're, we're far from that, um, but that's, that's where I hope we're going to head. That was sake master Andre Bishop. So that's a bit of a wrap-up of what's been happening in the Japanese sake scene in Australia. Yukino from Deja Vu Sake has given me some beautiful Japanese sake to give away. It's a bottle of Junmai Ginjo from Dewazakura Sake Brewery, which is located in Tendo City in Yamagata Prefecture, 300 k's north of Tokyo. Now, how you can win is pretty simple. Go onto iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review for the podcast. This is one of the factors that's going to help its ranking on those platforms and ultimately how much exposure it gets that's going to ensure that more people can hear it, which is obviously what I want. Then email a screen grab of your review to me at hello at drinksadventures.com.au. That's hello at drinksadventures.com.au, just so I know how to get in touch with you. I'm going to choose my favourite review each week, and that person will win the weekly prize, which this week is this beautiful bottle of sake from our friends at Deja Vu Sake. Now, I want meaningful and honest reviews. Actually, just give me some feedback on what you thought of the week's show. If you just say A1 would listen again or something along those lines, that's probably not going to be a winning review. The formal stuff, this competition is open only to Australian residents aged 18 and over and entries will close the following Tuesday after each episode is released. So that's about it for this week. I hope you've subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher or your favourite podcast player. You can expect to receive a new episode every Thursday for the duration of Season 1, so I'll see you again next Thursday. Before I go, though, huge thank you to Dave Robertson, a.k.a. Cameo Culture, who composed the podcast theme song and most of the other music I used in this Japanese Saki episode. A full track listing and links as to where you can hear more from Dave are available in the show notes. See you next week.